Hey, y'all, it's Rima. So this season, we are exploring relationships of all kinds, romantic, platonic, familial, and we're looking at how money and work can complicate them. This week, I am handing off the show to my colleague, Marielle Seguera. And what I really love about the story she found is that so much of the tension, actually probably all of it, is internal. Really, you could say it's a story about the most important relationship in your life, the one with yourself. Here's Marielle. When Chris is at work, he has to stand still for long periods of time. And his thoughts go all over the place. Sometimes he thinks about his ongoing Dungeons & Dragons game. Sometimes he runs through his to-do list or tries to silently name every song he knows. And sometimes... Sometimes I try to think about just how many people have actually, like, seen me naked. And I know it's a weird thought. But, like, if you average 15 people a session, 15 to 20, doing three times a week over 10 years, I mean, that's just a lot. It's a lot of people. I stop him there and pull out my phone because... I got to do the math. 15 times 3 times 52 weeks a year times 10 years. That would be 23,400 people. Maybe, yeah. Chris is a nude art model. He poses for artists who are learning how to draw the human body. I met up with him on a Thursday night a few months back at an event in Brooklyn called a drink and draw. It's what it sounds like. You drink and you draw a nude model. Thank you for coming. There is a bathroom over here, and there's one downstairs on the right. Um, And we'd like to thank our sponsors. Chris is standing on the platform barefoot, wearing a t-shirt with a gray sheet tied around his waist. And we're going to start with a few 30-second poses. He stretches a little bit, checks his phone, and then he gets naked in front of about 40 or 50 people. Within seconds, he's standing on one foot, And let me tell you, as someone who's been to yoga class and struggled to hold an even simpler pose, that is not easy. And time. Chris is 5'11". He has broad shoulders, hair on his chest and back, and strong legs. He wears glasses and has a shaved head and a thick blonde beard. He describes himself as heavyset, a plus-sized model. And time. By the way, he's not just standing up there. Each pose is intentional. It shows his body in motion or his muscles tensed. And he's thought through what every part of his body is doing, too. Like at one point, he has a wooden pole stretched across his shoulders, and his wrists are resting on it with his fingers hanging down. And there's an artist in the front row who is only drawing Chris's hand. Chris looks comfortable up there. I am less than comfortable at first. I mean, this is not how I usually interview people. But the awkwardness fades pretty quickly, partly because of Chris's confidence. It's clear this is just another day at the office for him. It's a job. At least, now it is. For a long time, it was a pipe dream. Inconceivable. And not just because he was shy about getting naked, but because he believed that his body was something to be ashamed of, something he needed to hide. I'm Marielle Segarra. Welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. Maybe at some point in your life, you've had a nagging desire, a calling, something you've wanted to do forever. But what if it's something you don't feel like you're allowed to do, or that society says you're not good enough to do? That's the story we're going to tell you today, about Chris's calling, which he kept secret for decades. 
and what it took to give himself permission to finally answer it. When you're a kid, if you're lucky, you have friends. Other kids to sit with at lunch, to goof around with between classes, kids who invite you to their houses and who you invite to yours. But for Chris, school was not like that. It was a minefield. Kids are, kids are brutal. Kids will find the thing that makes you hurt and hurt the most. When Chris started middle school at a strict private school in New Jersey, he felt so awkward and unsure of himself. I was just starting to hit puberty, and that means that, like, a lot of kids, they start to gain weight, you know, and a lot of kids, they start to have acne. And a lot of kids, their voice starts to change, and all that was just check, check, check. In the span of a couple years, Chris gained a lot of weight. You know, I was 14 years old, and I was weighing over, like, 200 pounds. He started to hate the body he was in. I remember being, uh, what was it, maybe 10 years old, 11 years old, and... In order to try to motivate myself to, like, lose the weight, I put on, like, the wall next to my bed all the pictures of the myself that I found disgusting. In school, he tried to make himself invisible. He wouldn't say anything in class, wouldn't talk to anybody. But kids circled in on him anyway. And it becomes these little jabs, little jabs, little jabs, little jabs. And it starts to, it starts to weigh down. It starts to weigh down pretty heavily. It's just knowing that you're always the biggest kid in the class for, like, when you're a kid, it's not a good feeling. The other kids made fun of him whispered that he was stupid. I'd be walking and just getting spit on a lot. They'd bump into him on purpose in the hall. But if he accidentally brushed shoulders with them, they would literally scream like he was some kind of monster. Chris didn't really tell his parents about the bullying. He thought it would just make things worse. Plus, they had their own stuff to worry about, doing everything they could to afford school for their only child. There was a long period of time where my family struggled with money, um, and I went to, like, a school where, you know, everyone else had a lot of it. My mom was working and my dad was working three jobs at one point. So for most of his childhood, Chris was isolated and lonely, and he blamed himself for the way he was treated. He would avoid mirrors and cameras and eat really fast out of sight of his classmates. It was like his body was a moving target, and he needed to hide it. But Chris had a secret about his body, something he wanted to do with it. He remembers this starting around 1996, when he was 10 years old. He was sitting at home one day when an episode of Step by Step came on. It's a sitcom, kind of like an edgier version of The Brady Bunch. Step by step, day by day. It was season five, episode 12, titled, What's Wrong with This Picture? I just Googled this, and I find... Dana is asked to model for a melodramatic campus artist naked. That's all the description tells me. Yeah. She thought it was going to be like an abstract painting, like no one was going to see anything. In Um, other words, this character, Dana, thought that she would be posing nude for a painting that wouldn't actually show her naked. It would just be some abstract lines and shapes. But turns out, the artist had a change of heart. And the painting is revealed in front of her whole family. This is the kind of thing most kids would have pointed and laughed at and then forgotten about. But Chris was like, huh, nude modeling. That's really a thing people do? It starts with a spark, and it starts with like, I don't know what that is, but I like that. 
He couldn't imagine it, the idea of letting people stare at your naked body, this thing that had been the source of so much misery and shame for him. A few years passed. He saw more examples of nude modeling on TV and in movies. And this curiosity, fascination, fixation, whatever you want to call it, it nagged at him. I don't know how I do it. I don't know where I get it. I would love to be able to do that. How do I do that? It was the idea of freedom, really, that he could get up in front of a bunch of people and reveal his body. He didn't even want to reveal his body to himself. But when he was in high school, he started to do this thing. When his parents weren't home, he would do regular, everyday activities naked. Watch TV, in the buff, make grilled cheese, in his birthday suit, play guitar, all natural. Like, wow, okay, I really like doing this thing. Like, I wonder what it's like to do this thing without any clothes on. It's like he felt this gravitational pull to sit in the fact of his body, to let it be a body instead of a punchline. Like, if I could find a moment to just, like, even just lie in bed when everyone was asleep and just, like, relax and just, you know, feel comfortable in my own skin. So that was a step forward. But at this point, Chris still didn't think he'd ever have the chance or the confidence to actually become a nude model. And he told absolutely no one about this dream. I saw in my brain that the more invisible I was, the better it was. So expressing anything like that to anyone was like, no. For a while, life continued to be kind of lonely for Chris. He wasn't doing the things a lot of high school kids do. Playing sports, going to house parties, hanging with friends. He just went to school, came home, and sometimes sat around naked. But a couple weeks into his sophomore year, something happened that would, in a roundabout way, lead Chris to embrace his calling. He was sitting in study hall when this kid sat down in front of him. And he just starts talking to me. And he's talking to me about, like, things that he likes. And, like, just out of nowhere, like, I didn't inter- I didn't actively go and interact with him. And it was the first time that I'd ever had someone just come and talk to me, just for no other reason except to share something that they wanted to share. He talked about wrestling, video games, comic books, Kevin Smith movies like Jay and Silent Bob and Chasing Amy. And Chris was dazzled. He couldn't believe somebody was even talking to him. It was just sort of like when you build up such a fear of who you are and a bad mentality, it becomes like what feels like an impenetrable wall. But then when someone just like breezes through it like it's nothing and they're just sort of like, Dude, have you checked this out? That is an important interaction. And it's for nothing else except to just maybe hang out with you. What was his name? His name is Anthony. And what did he bring out in you? Words, (laughs) talking to someone. (laughs) And, like, I got to sort of test my own personality out around him. I looked forward to study hall every day. It was, you know, we would be, like, it was just the first time that I'd ever had the ability to just goof around with someone. And the more we got to know each other, the easier things got. From that point on, things changed for Chris. He had started to get into music and guitar, and he found other kids to play with. He wasn't dreading school anymore. And he was revealing some of who he was. Of course, there was a limit to what Chris shared. His nude modeling experiments around the house, those were still a secret. I thought that, like, okay, I've shown people just enough where they can accept me now. Like, I figured things out a little bit. Cool. Don't rock the boat. Like, don't screw this up, stupid. The thing about a calling, though, you can try to suppress it, but... I think that 
we all have like little powder kegs inside us and it's everyone's got a little thing they want to express and it's just a time bomb and it's just how long the fuse is and eventually it explodes that's after the break to know you want to make a change in your life, but it is hard to actually do it. How to Be a Better Human from TED is a podcast for when self-help feels too daunting or maybe even unrealistic or just not for you. I'm Chris Duffy, the host of How to Be a Better Human, and trust me, I do not have it all figured out. But join me as I talk to experts about actually attainable ways we can try to improve our lives, whether it's facing fears, setting boundaries, cleaning your house without feeling like a failure, or all sorts of other topics. Find How to Be a Better Human wherever you get your podcasts. Last Day is a show about the moments that change us. I just don't think I will ever get used to this. I'm Stephanie Whittleswax, and I have had one of these moments. We all have. So let's unpack the chaos that is our human existence together. I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe the universe has a plan. Each week, I sit down with a new guest to explore happy, sad stories of transformation. It's leaning far, far into the pain. That's what it is. Listen to Last Day wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway, maybe somewhere tropical. Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. After graduation, Chris moved around a bit. First, he went to Berkeley, a music school in Boston. Then when he couldn't afford it anymore, he moved home to New Jersey, enrolled in a community college, then state school. And he worked a bunch of jobs at a Halloween store, at a deli, in a warehouse. It would take multiple hands and toes to count all the jobs I've had. Other than that, it was just doing whatever I could to pursue music, whatever. Weird odds and ends and angles that took me down. Even though money was tight and he was still figuring it all out, Chris had never been happier. He and some friends started a heavy metal band called Morningstar. He got a girlfriend. He had a really tight friend group that he hung out with multiple times a week. And in that group, Anthony was the star. Chris was in awe of him, the way he was just himself all the time. He used to do this thing like when we would go to like diners, like we would go to hang out diners. He would just mess around, do this thing called condiment wrestling where he would just take, like, what was on the table and, like, do a wrestling match with, like, the sweet and low packets and a thing of jam. And then he would just, like, rip the thing open and, like, oh, the jam is bleeding on it. Like, it's like he'd be the announcer doing this thing. And we would just be enamored. But even though so much had fallen into place and Chris was feeling more confident in general, he was still battling with his body. He would go to the gym, lose some weight, then gain it back. No matter what he did, he felt ashamed, like his body was something he needed to apologize for. And he couldn't stop thinking about nude modeling. Imagine if he could do it, if he could be that comfortable with himself. So very slowly, he started doing his research. 
would look up information about nude modeling online, whatever he could find. Then he'd abandon the idea, then look it up again, then drop it again. Maybe today's the day, uh, no, back up, back up, back up. And like, maybe I can do it, but what if someone finds out, uh, you know, and especially if you're still in college, it's like, I'm in college too, other people might talk. He couldn't risk it. He'd waited too long to have friends. So Chris kept his dream hidden. Meanwhile, Anthony was pursuing his own dream. He wanted to turn his obsession with wrestling into a career, to become a WWE wrestler. You know, the kind who slammed chairs over each other's heads in front of a roaring crowd. His character name was Big Tony Dukes. Um, that, was his, that was his wrestling name that he was using. Um, and he was basically just taking his cues from a lot of Mick Foley's character, Cactus Jack, at first, which was just a guy who came in with like a shirt, flannel, and was there to just, you know, take damage. Anthony was just starting to get into the amateur scene, booking local matches for pretty much no pay. He just loved the sport and the entertainment aspect of it. But around this time, something strange started happening to Anthony, and his friends noticed. We'd go places and he'd get dizzy and sick, and like it started to be like, okay, you, you keep going to the doctor and they don't find anything. Chris says doctors kept telling Anthony to try eating healthier foods or exercising more, but that didn't seem to help. One day, the friends went to see Anthony wrestle. We wanted to surprise him at one of his matches. And they're like, I think he should be coming up soon. They waited and waited, and he never showed up. And, like, he wasn't picking up his phone because he was, like, super, super sick and just couldn't get up, let alone go to the match. And he'd called out for the night because he was sick with what eventually would be the thing. The thing was leukemia. By the time Anthony was diagnosed, he'd been sick for about two years. He started treatment, and it was incredibly hard on his body. Eventually, he got a bone marrow transplant, and his friends thought that would cure him. And it just didn't keep, because his body had been through so much at that point. On July 3rd, 2011, Chris was hanging out with some friends in the basement of his parents' house. They were planning to watch the fireworks on the Jersey Shore that night, when his cell phone rang. And I got the call from his mother, who was crying, and I had found out. And I had told her not to worry, and I said, don't worry about calling anyone else, I'll do it. And I, I called um, I called all of the closest friends that we knew. It was surreal. The people he was hosting this party for, they didn't know Anthony. And Chris had to explain to them what happened. He remembers being outside, sitting around a fire, trying to be a good host while he was just in shock. Anthony was cremated a few days later. And the act of cremation gave Chris comfort, in a way. And I thought to myself, you know what, for all that pain that the cancer caused him, I just felt so happy that it ended up burning with him. Like, I felt so happy that for all the misery it caused, it ended up, you know, hopefully feeling some kind of burn. Losing Anthony was the biggest blow in a series of terrible blows for Chris. Over about a year, Chris had lost his job at a music store, his relationship ended, and he had to move back in with his parents and try to scrape by on unemployment. It was just a lot of just working through depression and working through a lot of change. And it felt like all the change was bad change. But right around then, as he was grieving and figuring out how to climb out of this hole— Something in Chris started to shift. 
After spending two years watching his friend's body break down, he started to think about his own body, how he had shamed it and hated it. One day, like, this body, like, this person is going to not be here anymore. Like, it's going to be a pile of just ashes and nothing more. Like, it made me realize that, like, there isn't a lot of time and am I being too careful? Chris was not happy with his body and his weight in particular. He still struggled with all his old demons. But now, for the first time, he also felt something else, that life was too short to care about those things anymore. In his many years of stealthy Googling, Chris had read that if he wanted to be a nude art model, he should get in touch with a college art department. That was how you got your foot in the door. So that fall, after Anthony's death, he started calling and showing up at art schools and asking if they needed nude models. At first, he got a lot of, well, have you done this before? They'll ask usually, are you a dancer? Okay, no. Are you an actor? Like, they'll ask, they'll go down a list of, like, why you're doing this. Um, Are you a model in general? Like that, and you go, no, 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 no. I'm just a guy. Oh, okay, great. Um, We're looking for someone with experience. But one day, he showed up at Rutgers University in New Jersey. I walked into their art department, Mason Gross, and like, there was a, a flyer on the wall that was like, looking for models, no experience necessary. It paid 15 bucks an hour. He took the contact info, emailed the professor, and she hired him. Finally, someone said, yes, you can do this thing you've been dreaming of forever. She gave him the details, where to show up, where to park. Just like that, he booked his first gig. So how did you feel once you said yes? Um, Like excitement, relief, and terror all at the same time. It's like excitement is like, oh, boy, it's happening. The relief is like, oh, it's finally happening. And then the terror is like, oh, God, it's happening. So he's like, okay, I got to prepare for this because if I don't know what I'm doing, it is definitely going to be weird. He looks online for tips, how to pose, how the classes are structured. He starts practicing poses in his childhood bedroom. He's still living at home. And he forms this idea of what'll happen when he shows up. I did imagine, like, one, that there would be, like, a quote-unquote backstage area or just, like, a curtain that you could go behind and, like, okay, this is where you get changed into the clothes that you're going to take on and off or what the robe or whatever it is that you're getting into. This is where you go. And I thought there was going to be very clear-cut moments. Yeah, things rarely happen as we imagine them, huh? On the day of the session, Chris drove up Route 18 in New Jersey to the Rutgers campus. I get there like an hour or 45 minutes early. He wanted to be the first one in the room to get a feel for things. I saw the lights and I saw the like the big windows and like just the natural light that was in there. There was not there was not a a single speck of this room that was not illuminated. Everything is meant to be seen. It's bright and it's just like intense. And there are these, you know, easels and seats in a little semicircle. And then there's the model platform. And that's where you're going to be. There were a lot of seats in that semicircle. And soon students start funneling into the class. And then I started seeing them like going, oh, my God, they're going to see me naked. They're going to see me naked. They're going to that person is. Oh, boy. He's kind of talking himself down from a panic attack when the professor finally walks in 10 minutes late. Chris gets on the platform, all eyes on him. His heart is racing. In my head, everyone is like throwing the worst aspersions my way. And really, just I'm disappointing everyone. I'm letting everyone down. I'm not who they thought I was. 
The professor's at the chalkboard in the back, reminding the students about some upcoming deadlines. Um, and I just stand up there with, like, my shirt and um, uh, shorts on. And she's like, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on look at the broadness of the shoulders and everything like that. And she starts doing, like, a rough figure drawing with me on the chalkboard. You want to focus on the negative spacing here, and you want to focus okay. And then I hear the words, like, okay, so whenever you're ready. This is Chris's cue to take it all off in front of 20 people for the first time in his life. In your mind, you're like, okay, I guess this is when I'm supposed to do it. And your brain is like, no, stop, no, stop, don't do it. He takes a deep breath, gets naked, and puts his hands over his head for the first pose. And all I could remember hearing is just the rush of blood in my ears. Just and it was just five minutes of like, like trying to keep my pose from shaking. He starts moving through the one-minute poses, then some two-minute poses. And the room is quiet. They didn't laugh at me. No one laughed. No one pointed. No one was like, ew, look. Or no one was doing any kind of that. Everything that you fear was going to happen didn't happen. And then you realize that, like, oh, it's okay. We're okay. We didn't do a bad thing. We're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing. And then once that happens, that's when I remember the shift happening, which is like, oh, I'm at work now. Like, they're paying me to hold poses so that art students can learn their craft. This is a job, and I want to do it well. But there's something else, too. It's almost like he disappears. There's a moment where he stops being Chris, and he starts being just a bag of bones and meat up there on the pedestal. And that feels good. I cannot express enough how matter-of-fact and clinical art modeling is. You might as well be a vase full of flowers. You are just a body. There's a dissolving of yourself in that. And to just be an objective body in a place and they're getting something from it. it. It's not necessarily pretty. It's not necessarily ugly. It just is. And yet, it's also like his body is being seen and accepted for the first time. That feeling alone was something I begged for as a kid. Like something all I wanted was to feel comfortable about being able to be myself and not feel like I'm so sorry for existing. I'm so sorry for being here. I didn't, you know, I know that I'm ruining everything just by being here. That was gone. I, there was just like, yeah, you're here. Like, we don't need you for anything else besides what you are. And that's great. After three hours, he puts his clothes back on, gets in his car and drives home. Like after it was done and the adrenaline's going, it's just like, I'm, I'm sort of like, I can't believe I just did that. Chris had battled so much fear leading up to this point, and now he couldn't wait to do it again. Not long after, he got an email from the professor asking him to come back. Suddenly, this one gig started turning into a job. My argument that I make um, about anything when it comes to an art or a skill that you're learning is as soon as you get paid for the first time, you are a professional. Wink, wink. Like, you're a professional now. You made money for it. So now act like you're a professional. Chris reached out to other art schools, identifying himself as an art model. He booked more gigs. And he started to get good at modeling, to learn what his body can and can't do, which poses he should attempt to hold for 30 seconds versus a minute versus 20 minutes. And nude modeling became a huge chunk of Chris's income, at its height, maybe 60%. He was modeling multiple times a week between music gigs and making more and more money sometimes 20 bucks an hour, and sometimes up to $150 for a 45-minute session. 
This body that he had hated for so long and that everyone else seemed to hate when he was a kid, now it was paying his bills. Being able to do this and make money on it and do it well and be able to be recognized for what I do, um, that is just a big old middle finger to that whatever energy was at that time. His body was also valuable to artists. It was helping them learn. And not just because he was another person to draw. I'm talking about his body specifically, his features, everything from his beard. People say all the time they love drawing the beard. Uh, they don't get to draw too many beards um, in person. To his belly. They like that they're dealing with someone who isn't like got eight pack abs and someone who's just like a normal body type that you would see anywhere else. It comes back to the reason the students are there. They're learning how to draw people. And a lot of people look like Chris. So Chris had gotten comfortable with showing his body to strangers, but there was one last hurdle for him, sharing this calling with the people in his life. Chris was a musician, so people assumed that's where he made most of his money. He kept his nude modeling career to himself for years. He had a new girlfriend, who's now his wife, and she knew, but nobody else. When he finally did tell someone else, it was out of necessity. He needed to borrow his friend's car to get to a gig because his had broken down. And I kind of was simultaneously pushed and decided to use it as an opportunity to say it out loud to someone. So he confessed one night at a local bar. And after all these years of secrecy and hiding and thinking that his friends would laugh at him or ditch him if they ever found out, the response was like, oh, yeah, all right, just uh, bring it back with a tank of gas. That was it. The world didn't fall apart. That's a, it's a consistent turning the corner and finding out, oh, the world doesn't fall apart if you're just yourself. Chris doesn't tell everyone in his life that he's a nude model. He's selective about it. People can be judgmental. That's why we're not using his last name in this story. But lots of people see him in his element. And when he's at work, he sometimes gets standing ovations. Artists come up and thank him, tell him that they appreciate his skill. These days, Chris is doing nude modeling less because a lot of the gigs dried up during the pandemic. Plus, his family grew. He and his wife had a baby last year. So he needs to take on more stable work. Lately, he's also been thinking about Anthony a lot. Losing him was the catalyst for Chris to finally do this thing he'd been dreaming of forever. To live out loud, like his friend did. I really do miss my friend, but he was himself. And boy, did we, boy, was he himself. Boy, did I get to see him. Boy, did we all get to see him. Um, I wish we had more of him. The neat and tidy ending to this story would be that nude modeling fixed everything for Chris, all of his confidence issues. It's not that simple. I still have all my hangups and like the the voices that tell me that I'm like I'm ugly or not worth anything. It's like they're always there. Like I I walk into a room and still think that everyone hates that I'm there, that I'm ruining everything. It's an active voice I have to fight all the time. And he will have to keep fighting it. But during a video call recently, I noticed a framed drawing on Chris's wall. It's a drawing of him from a nude modeling event. The artist took some creative liberties, depicting him in the forest, axe in hand, ready to chop some wood. What struck me was Chris has this drawing displayed proudly. He's come a long way from the 11-year-old who 
posted those pictures of himself around his bed as a form of self-torment. Back then, all his body ever brought him was pain. Now, there's joy, too. That is all for our show this week. If you want to reach out with any thoughts or share your own story, you can always reach me and the team at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. Also, don't forget, we've got a great newsletter that comes out every Friday. I usually write about what's going on in my own life and how I'm making sense of the news. Plus, each week, the whole team shares some favorite things they've stumbled upon, you know, stuff to watch and read and cook and listen to. There's a lot of good stuff in there that you'll definitely want to check out. You can sign up for the newsletter at marketplace.org slash comfort. This episode was lead produced by Camila Kerwin. It was hosted by Marielle Segarra. Haley Hirschman is our senior producer. Our editor is Karen Duffin. Special thanks this week to Caitlin Esch, John Gordon, and Phoebe Untermann. Marquette Green is our digital producer with help from Tony Wagner. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Donna Tam is the director of On Demand. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, we'll catch y'all next week. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts.